<laughs> All right, so welcome to the RSP cast with Russ Landy. This is Scout Talk, and uh, as always, as you just said, yeah, fortunately, there's just been no real news since the last time we've been on here. Exactly. Yes, yes. great joke, Russ. Great joke. So, (laughs) but uh, but this is our break from that. Exactly. It absolutely is. Absolutely is. Though I do think I may have a podcast with some with some colleagues um, to talk a little bit about. Well, maybe not talk about that specifically, but talk about some things that that are kind of I don't know part of that on some one level or another so we'll see it's some things we revisit some things that i talked about last summer that we'll probably revisit you know with some with some colleagues but uh but for today we're going to be on the third part of our series where we're talking about evaluation mistakes and lessons learned and going position specific we've already covered um wide receivers and running backs for the past two weeks you can check those out at mount waldman's rsp cast and today tight ends so and then we'll wrap it up with quarterbacks next week and i believe after that we're i think we're going to talk about you know players in terms of taking risks on players you know players who need to grow up a little bit players who've made some mistakes how big are those mistakes really what you know and you know what our viewpoint is and what we've learned you know from those over the years about you know when players we should take chances on players when it comes to off field and, and their approach, but Russ, I mean, the tight end position. I mean, I think, I think more than anything, it's you look at it and the positions changed a lot over the past 15, 16 years in terms of how people view it. And, uh, you know, when I think of it right off the bat, I mean, I look back in 2006 and certainly there was one guy that kind of is the precursor for a lot of this and you know in 2006 you could say vernon davis might be the guy you'd guess but vernon davis could block vernon davis was a heck of a blocker so but the guy who was might be the precursor was the ninth player on the um picked in that class in the um fourth round by the name of owen daniels who wasn't a bad blocker he was just a small guy he was an h-back and he went to an H-back specific team and with the Texans with Gary Kubiak and that worked out. But, you know, you start to look at that and he became a player that was kind of, uh, you know, we're looking 10 years later, maybe 12 years later, and now he's more the norm of what teams are looking for. Well, there's no question. I mean, I just look at it and think I sort of almost question myself and my intelligence sometimes because I grew up a Chargers fan. So, I mean, if you're a Chargers fan and you actually expect your tight ends to block and you grew up watching Kellen Winslow yeah, and you actually started thinking, well, if he's not a dominant blocker, he's not worth it, you might, I, maybe I need to have my head checked because, I mean, he may have been the first one that literally never touched a down lineman ever, yet literally changed the game. Yeah. And he was the first guy that literally caught 70, 80 balls and created those mismatches. But somehow I forgot all about him and Todd Christensen. And when I got into this business, I started thinking, well, I need that guy who can be a Mark Bavaro, who can control the line of scrimmage, dominate defensive ends, and also catch 50 balls. And the game has just changed so much. And and one of the, the lessons, and I mentioned it right before we went on the air, where I really sort of learned that was when I was at the Browns and 
I don't remember if it was the 03 draft or 04 draft, just because I can't remember which year it was, but it was the year Jeremy Shockey came out. And our area scout had given him, I want to say, a fifth or a sixth round grade and, and really said, I don't think this guy can be a contributing all-around player because he's so little and he's not a blocker. And Butch Davis, our head coach, really made a point then, and it should have resonated, like I said, back when I watched Winslow. But the point he made then was, hey, if the kid can make an impact catching the ball, I don't need him to be even a good blocker coming out of school. All I need is the willingness to block and the toughness. I can teach him enough to get his head in the right place and stand there so that by the time he gets run over, he can't, the defender can't make the play. said, I don't need him to block him. Just stand in the way enough to slow him down. And when, when we started having these discussions and said, you'll trade the blocking for a player like Shockey, you can literally change the game for your team offensively. It really clicked in my head. And I started really seeing that there is a way to do this. And that was part of the reason I love Kellen Winslow Jr., which unfortunately he had the, 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 the motorcycle accident. But as a re- player coming out of college, he was one of the best tight ends I ever graded. Yeah. And to this day, he's still one of the best. Had he not been hurt, I, I just think he would have been a truly special player. And I think it's one of the big mistakes I made. And I still have to reinforce when I watch guys now is if they're not a good blocker, sort of put that aside because if they're an athletic enough player where they can make an impact as a, as a receiver, I don't need the blocker. Now, the risk there is what if you have to find that line? Because if they're not athletic enough to make an impact as a receiver, then you, they better be a good blocker or else they're going to be out of the league real quick. Because if you can't make an impact as a receiver, why do I even have you on the roster if you can't block? Yes. And then there's a, it's funny because as a Browns fan, I grew up watching the guy on the East Coast who was starting to accumulate those and the yep. former, you know, Ozzie Newsom. So for me, it was kind of like he was probably my first favorite player when I was growing up. So, um, you know, getting a chance to watch him, knowing that he was a wide receiver at Alabama and that, you know, you'd watch him in those Browns games and it was like, if he was blocking anybody, he was just getting in the way. Yeah, just uh, run through yeah, them a little bit. <laughs> exactly. Just be a speed bump, you know? Exactly. But, so that was fine, but it was like the guy. So for me, it was like starting off doing this. I think the mistake that I made probably for the first five to seven years, at least one of the main mistakes was, all right, how do I reconcile the Ozzie Newsome type of player? Like who's really like, has a chance to be an Ozzie Newsome, Kellen Winslow, Jeremy Shockey type of player, and who has a chance to be the Heath Miller type of player? Because Heath Miller was like the opposite end of the spectrum, where it was like he was he was quick in a short area. He had he was really savvy. He had great hands. He could make contested plays, but man, he was not going to stretch the field. He was not even going to stretch the seam very often. Um, but he found a great fit in Pittsburgh as kind of like the the blocker dump off check down. It was like it was like taking a blocker and making him Todd Christensen and like yeah, kind of melding exactly. Todd Christensen with a blocker. And you had like this guy who was just catching. Sometimes he'd catch a lot of short passes and he'd be very effective. And he was a he was a great underrated player in the league for a long time. But every year I'd. 
I, maybe not every year, but it seemed like every couple of years, every two to three years, I'd be like, I'd be thinking, am I going to find the next Owen Daniels type of player? Is this guy, could he be the next, another Owen Daniels? Could he be another Heath Miller or could he be another Ozzie Newsom? And for in, and then on top of it, people were predicting a, you know, move tight end revolution, but they were predicting it like five years too early. And you and I think because I'd hear it in the media, I was always keeping my eye out for it because of the shockies, because of the guys who hit, that it would happen sooner, but it never happened sooner. But, you know, so when I first think about that, I think of guys like, um, you know, I, I look for guys who were either really big or could block or just superstar receivers, and there just aren't that many superstar receivers at the position. Yeah, and it's also, even if they're superstar receivers, and even though we're not saying you have to be a blocker, it's still a different world when you're lining up within that box because there is a toughness required. Even if you're not putting your head down and firing into the defensive end, you're still manipulating in a forest as opposed to being outside in space. So even a Travis Kelsey, who goes out in the slot a lot, the bulk of his catches are still where there's contact. He's dealing with trees and big people around him. Whereas when you're out at receiver, you can get away, especially now where guys can't come in and knock your head completely off your body. You, receivers don't have to deal with that physical aspect of it. And that's what, to me, makes it so difficult to find those receiving tight ends because other than the guys like a Pitts who jump out and are so athletic and different and special, a lot of them you're trying to figure out which guy's athletic enough to be that receiver but also has that just mental makeup to handle playing within there. And I think that's one of the mistakes that has become more common now because of the change of the position and success of players like Antonio Gates, who never played the position in college, and even Jimmy Graham, who only played it one year in the NFL, because everybody thinks, oh, I'll just take a basketball player and make him a tight end. When the reality is, for every Gates there is, there's another 20 that NFL teams tried and failed. Yeah, It's a very difficult position because they have to be that athlete to make an impact catching the ball. But even though they're not black, they have to have that just innate willingness to get hit and deal with the violence inside. And one of the guys I missed on, and he's still playing, but he never became that sort of guy I thought he'd be because I thought he could be that guy is Max Williams. Oh, yeah. When he came out of school, I really thought this is an athletic kid. He can run. He's smooth. He's got hands. And he can deal with that sort of physical play within the box. But I've never seen him take that step to become the special player. You still see occasionally a flash once or twice every, I don't know, three or four games. You see him make a play that says, okay, this guy should be catching 60 balls a year and making an impact. But I don't see it consistently. He's one of the guys I really thought was going to make an impact in this league and be a guy sort of like a Kelsey, long, powerful kid with good hands. And he's just never taken that step to be more than just sort of a journeyman guy. Yeah, I can understand that. And it's funny because you it's the same thing. You you kind of learn about with tight end, you're learning like about two different positions in one in many in many respects. So, you know, for me, I I was learning as much about receiver watching tight end as I was learning about receivers when I was watching receiver. And so part of that was my first guy that I just really just loved and didn't understand the technique of catching the football, like breaking it down to the level of 
how do you use your hands when do you use your hands what are the what's the you know what's the technique for in terms of high catches versus low catches when to do that leaving your feet all those different things kellen davis the um the tight end who got drafted by the bears on michigan state who was also a defensive end um for them he was just i liked his athletic ability i loved his physicality I'd see him occasionally pluck that ball and look really good doing it. And then he'd just drop passes that he should have had no business dropping. And that the same thing happened to him in Chicago. I mean, he was the same type of player. But you'd have flashes. you look at him and go, this guy should be, you know. Yeah, way this, better. This should be like Wesley Walls type of player. Like, that's what he should be. And he just wasn't. And part of it was me understanding the difference between a guy who flashed in terms of making big plays and someone who can do it every, every time. And it's so important because I mean, and you've been doing this so long, especially with the skill position, it's the guy who makes the great catch every once in a while, but doesn't pull it in regularly. Those are the ones that don't make the guys who make those tough catches seem like a routine catch time after time, after time. Those are the guys you get to the point where you're like, okay, now I get it. Yeah. Now I can see. And that's one of the hard parts when you have a guy only do it, even coming out of college for a year or two. Yeah. Cause you're like, okay, he's done it. Well, like I look at the kid from Florida and I say, okay, I've seen this kid make so many ridiculous catches and off target throws. I feel pretty confident saying he's going to do it, but it's when you see it for the long stretch, two or three years, that's when you start to become confident. In, but the guys who don't do it all the time, they you literally make you want to pull your hair out. Yeah. And they're guys that are basically they do it by accident because their process yes. is by doing it by accident. And a good example of just even a wide receiver today, I was talking to a friend of mine who's a who's who was a scout for a number of teams and did analytics for the NFL for a while. And he's out of that. He's basically in Fortune 250 companies now doing analytics. But um, <laughs> he was a former player as well um, in the college game, a defensive player, and. I, I just we were talking about a wide receiver that we had both watched the other night and I watched I had watched him last night and just asked him what did you think about this guy because I thought he was intriguing he's a guy by the name of Isaiah McCoy out of Kent State um, as kind of a third day guy who's intriguing and then he I mentioned Amon Ra St Brown the USC um, receiver and I just said you know Amon Ra St Brown doesn't excite me you know. You know, I don't understand like the early day hype for him so much, um, but I do understand how good he can be. But he reminds me of Sterling Shepard, and somebody said, and, and he said, and he said, well, he goes, that's the that's the value because he does it over and over and over again. What he does well, he does over and over again, and that just fits your point exactly. And it's like, yeah, he's never going to be a superstar, but he could have a ten year career in the league as a contributor or starter. And that's hard to that's hard to knock. And I get that. I totally get that. You know, it's like I to me, it's just that I I look at him and I go, I I wouldn't draft a guy like that in the first round or in the second round. But some, but again, fourth but round. That's sort of organ, organizational philosophy. Yeah. Where is the value in consistency over game changing? Yes. Because yes. I can find you consistent guys all the time. Yeah. But how many games do you win with those? Or are you willing to gamble it because if you find that guy, those guys that change games. Yes. And that's the, the, the winning is the most important. 
Yeah. So it, it, it's, it's a very fine line to me. I mean, to me, the guy, and I'll give you another guy that I completely whiffed on, is Nick Vanette. Oh, and I don't, and I don't know if he's ever going to get there or not, but this is a guy I saw on film at Ohio State, and I thought intriguing, athletic. He can run. He can catch. Saw him at, the, I want to say, the Senior Bowl, and he looked tremendous. He reminded me, actually, a lot of Jimmy Graham and his movement skills and hands, but he's never even been a blip really in the NFL. And it's one of those things we're talking about consistency. This guy makes a catch or two a season that I get excited about. The rest of the time, he's just sort of a nothing. Yeah. I found he's interesting because he's a guy, he's a guy that I, that I thought when I watched him that he got distracted easily. Like if you on day one, like of the scene, and this was at the senior bowl, like, and usually, you know, it just depends on how you look at it. But it was like, I found that day one of the senior bowl, he looked like a world beater, especially when they were like doing the press man drills and he was yep. getting off the line. And then day two, day three, they started to crouch up on him and they started to play him physical and he dropped every time they like made him play physical. Mm-hmm. He dropped the ball every time. And so when I, I went back and watched his tape and I noticed that every time he played physical coverage, that somebody like got a body on him or put a hit on him. He, he, and it was a quick hitting play. He got distracted. Yeah. So it was like, but those are things that that's, that's the hard part about this too, is that even, you know, you watch a player and you can watch so much tape and sometimes the patterns don't come out very easily, you know, and sometimes they do. And then sometimes the patterns don't mean anything, you know, it's like, there could be a reason behind it. That could be like a technical reason, you know, that you're like. That, that you're like, that's correctable. And a coach is like, yeah, that works fine. And then other times you're like, yeah, they'll be able to work on that. It doesn't matter at all. And it's also like we talked about, and I think we may have talked about this in one of the first times we ever did a show was that first game that you grade has yes. a huge impact. And for tight ends, it can be even bigger because sometimes they may only get three or four balls in their direction. Yes. Or three or four opportunities to really make a block that stands out. So if a guy makes two phenomenal plays as a receiver and one as a blocker in the first game, that could be enough to set your num your your starting point so high that even as you chip on it with mistakes, he still ends up with a high grade. Because I don't care who it is, whether it's Bill Belichick or Bill Walsh, everybody has a first game setting where that first game sets where your sort of starting point is with that player. And that to me is one of the hardest things with tight ends, with corners, because the exposure can be so limited that if they're great in that first game, it's really difficult to chop it down because it's unlikely they're going to go from great to reject. They're going to go great, not so great, good, not so good in that. And it's hard to chip down enough off your initial thoughts that to me is what's very frustrating with tight ends. Yeah, it is. And it's and for me it's like you're trying to and then even if they're like solid players and they turn into solid players who have good years in the or they have years in the league of you know being a contributor at least if not a starter. You're like trying I feel like with that position you're trying to hit the bullseye way too often with with players and if they're receiver types. Because yes. like the blocker, the blockers are like they're almost a dime a dozen in some regards, yes. and there's some elite guys. But the guy that I remember, I just felt like this is just so frustrating. 
was in 2009 watching James Casey out of Rice. Because, oh, yeah. Because you watch him and, like, you'd see moments where with the Texans where, like, he they'd have him run these bullet routes and wheel routes and or he'd have one game where he looks fantastic and they used him in that game plan. And you're like, all right, here it comes. They've figured out what they want to do with him. And then he's back in purgatory for, like, the yeah, next exactly. five years. You know, That's a great player to talk about because that was another guy I remember watching and I thought this guy's going to have a role in the NFL. Yeah. Yeah, he was fantastic in terms of like you put him at fullback and it was like he could block, you could put him at H-back and he could run routes and he was tough over the middle and he could handle a safety. He had the speed to deal with a safety and make contested plays and he wasn't a bad blocker technically. You know, and that's the thing too, is like for me, this was, this is my exposure to blocking, you know, other than pass protection and like, you know, what receivers do on an Island, there's like three guys who actually know how to block, you know, I'm exaggerating, but it feels that way. So it's like, you know, learning things like, okay, rolling through the hips, how do you set your feet? What types of blocks you're using? And then what kind of technique And whether you're getting that step, whether you're overextending all the time, how you use your hands, where your hands go in terms of, you know, placement and who and what levels of defenders you're able to handle. And and even that's rife with like problems, because I had Brandon Thorne on recently with the um, um, with the trench warfare you know, newsletter that he does. And we talked about blocking a little bit. And he just talked about how, you know, his lessons learned about scouting that position and talking about, and I know as someone who has a, you know, a pedigree of, you know, studying guys in the trenches like yourself, you know, I mean, he talks about, it's like, you know, you got to see who they're handling. You got to see who they're, they're up against and you got to see what schemes they're playing and whether they're the, you know, whether they fit all these different types of things and so when I watch some, you know, I can't just look at someone like James Casey. Well, I've seen him handle defensive ends. Well, who and what kind of techniques did they have? And how and what is their growth potential? Because there's lots of guys who are great prospects at defensive end or defensive tackle or outside linebacker who aren't very good for the NFL, but they, they're bullies in, the, in, in college football. And they they. They have the the NFL athletic ability, but they never develop the technique or, you know, or skills to do it. So there's so much there that you have to look at that becomes a difficult scenario. And it's just like, for me, Casey was a great example of that. Whereas, you know, as that was going on, I can look at three guys in that class now that I go, oh yeah, I missed on them too because I was waiting for them. I was waiting for the NFL to catch up to the idea of what we're talking about, which was, you know, Cornelius Ingram out of Florida, Sean Nelson, who got drafted by the Bills out of Southern Mississippi. And he was drafted in the fourth round. So that was kind of intriguing. Travis Beckham in the third round. And even Chase Kaufman was one of those guys that I was like, could he be a Heath? That was one of the, could he be a Heath Miller type? Like he's, you know, and he was a lesson learned because he's one of those guys that I now try and stay away from, from a build standpoint, anybody who's waste is they're high wasted players and they've got to play in line and they've got to be receivers. I'm just like, forget it. Cause they have really unlikely. Yes. They have real trouble dropping their, to their knees and getting to a, a, a quick stop on, 
on quick stop, you know, hearts breaking routes and then blocking. They're just at a horrible leverage disadvantage and they just don't seem to have the ability to move the way they need to, to be able to get leverage. And, and so anytime I saw a player, cause after that, like guys like Con- Brad Cottom or anybody who looked anything remotely like, um, Chase Kaufman. And I love Chase Kaufman's receiving game, even as just an underneath guy. Yep. He, he really had good tracking. He really understood how to catch the ball. But yeah, I was like, get away. Like, I'm not, I'm, forget it, you know? Well, well, and it's funny because if you look around the NFL now and you see the number of scouts that are 24, 25, 26, there is something too when you've seen certain body types fail over and over it makes you realize it isn't just about strictly grading that one player and looking at his analytics numbers and how we test out. It's also looking at, Hey, even if this guy has everything I think is going to make him successful, the history of that position with that body type points to struggles or success. It can be both ways. And that's something that's really important. And I'll give you a, a good story, although it's a different position, my first year with the Browns, I mean, I'd been doing this for a while. I'd been with the Rams for four years, XFL. I go into a school in the Big Ten. They have a three-year all-conference safety. I give them a top of the second round grade, a huge grade. And we get into our meetings, all the other scouts, all the other coaches, free agent. And and this guy ended up not getting drafted, got a mini camp invite, was in and out in a week. And we're sitting there in our draft meetings, and our GM or Player personnel director, uh, Joe Collins said, Russ, he said, this one's a real simple one. He said, you've never heard it. He said, look on his sheet that I'm passing around. And he passed around and he said, what's highlighted? And I saw a shoe size. And it was a safety with size 17 feet. Wow. And he said, Russ, he said, go look at the history. 12 to 12 and a half is the largest there's ever been for a starting DB. He said, when you get into giants with feet, he said, it's just you're so limited in certain things. So you're talking about the high-waisted. There are certain things that come through experience. You identify certain traits. And for a tight end, I think you make a great point because guys that are real high-waisted, it becomes very hard for them to bend their knees, to play with leverage, to be able to adjust in traffic. They usually get bounced around and can't handle the movements necessary to get through traffic and to get away from coverage. Yeah. Because even if they can run, you just have to impede their route a little bit, and it takes such an effort to move their body and get it in another direction. Usually they're done. Yeah. Now, do they have do they have a little bit more of an advantage now with today's offenses? Because I look at a guy like Mike Giusecki, who wasn't necessarily a high-waisted guy to the extreme of the other ones, but he's a guy that tested really well but he also like when you watch him on tape, like his tape doesn't match his testing. If you ask, not me. even close. Yeah. So no, you know, I mean, there is a little bit where you try to look at it and say, okay, what is the parameter within that sort of box area, and what's your parameter when you move him outside? Because there are receivers that are high cut that are successful. Yeah. But you you have to find that sort of I think middle ground. If you have a high high cut tight end. You better move him out a little bit. I think he's going to have trouble still within traffic because of that ability to, to uh, based on agility, to deal with the traffic. I have a funny Jimmy Graham story when I think about Jimmy Graham and when you mentioned him. When I when I watched him at the Senior Bowl, I remember 
they had him and Anthony McCoy, the USC tight end, who ended up with the Seahawks in the sixth round and really didn't have much of a career, but he hung around for a little bit. Yep. But he could block. Like yeah, he, he really could. Yeah. So they had him and McCoy matched up during that senior bowl that we were at in 2011, early 2011. And they had the, the blocking pad that like weeble wobbles up and down. Yep. They just want you to flash your hands and basically give a quick punch to knock the thing down. And they were trying to go with hand quickness and force in a short area, kind of like the football version of Bruce Lee's one inch punch, you know, and, and the whole thing was they're showing it. And you're seeing on one side, there's McCoy who understood the technique and he just barely touches the thing. It looks like, and the, the pad hits the ground and goes back and, and Jer- and and Jimmy Graham tries to hit it, and the thing doesn't even move. It like maybe like shakes like this a couple of times, and he's looking at McCoy, and McCoy's talking to him, and like McCoy's like you know kind of showing him what he's doing, and 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 Jimmy just couldn't. I mean, he was like being introduced to the technique, so it was like <laughs> he had to. Go, this was a go home and practice this, you know, when this week is over type of thing. But I remember. Th- watching that and going wow it's like whoever picks him he's a wide receiver playing tight end there's like there's nothing there with that that you you can look at but a guy who was in that class too that I remember that I liked a little more but I had to remember that tight ends can bend tight ends can change direction the top tight ends actually have wide receiver like skills in terms of hard breaks and being able to run hip shifts with against off coverage and being able to drop their weight and, and do all those things. And the guy who didn't really do that very well but was drafted in the third round of that class was Ed Dixon with the Ravens, who had a long oh, yeah. career. He had a long career. But like Ed Dixon to me was like a as a receiver, the way he was used at least, and from what I saw in Oregon when I went back and watched it again was he was like those stratomatic football, pl- you know, football players that you just said, hope you point him in the right direction because yeah, exactly. he was just straight line all the way. And that fabled little tight end screen out in the flat that they used him in every stop because he could run. And, he just and, couldn't get off that track. That's it. Yeah. It was like, keep him on the track, you know, and he was good in that regard, but it was very limiting, you know, from that perspective. You know, it's funny you mentioned that year because that year, I think it was a year or two before, a year or two after, was when Greg Olson came out. Yes. And I remember Greg Olson. Um, I, and I'm not trying to talk about him so much, but I remember giving him a very high grade. Um, I think I gave him either a top of the second or first round grade. But I also really liked another tight end who came out that year named Zach Miller. Oh, and yeah. Zach Miller was a kid. And I, th- I actually gave him and Olson virtually identical grades, either top, late first or or top of the second. And Miller had a decent career. I think he had one or two years where he caught 50 or 60 balls, but he never became an impact guy. And what I saw that I missed on with him was, I thought, and I, and I still think this is, I think he was a very smooth, very good all-around athlete, but there was no twitchiness to him. There was no foot in the ground and get away, whereas Greg Olson could put a foot in the ground and boom, he had separation. And that was one of my mistakes with Miller was I sort of, let the smoothness and his ability because he was smooth and because he ran good routes and knew what he was doing, his ability to get open in college made me think he was a better athlete than he actually was. 
which was he was a smooth guy. He wasn't a twitchy guy. And that's one of the things I really try to be careful with because there are a lot of good college tight ends who are good, smooth, fluid guys, but they're not twitchy. And in the NFL, you got to have a little bit of twitchy athleticism to consistently gain separation. Yeah, I love that. I love that because um, it's such a great point because you see players like Dennis Pitta. You know, Dennis Pitta was a player I really liked, but the the thing about him is that that was a tough one to call in terms of athletic ability because yep. he you, you wondered just was he that Heath Miller like type of player, and it turned out yeah he kind of was, and he could but he could get down the field just enough that it was you know on certain types of plays, whether it was you know certain types of play action looks that he wasn't bad. Um, but you know, a player that I would love to hear your thoughts about is one that, you know, in that 2010 class and it, and it's just more from the standpoint, and I want to be sensitive about this because, you know, Aaron Hernandez certainly had, there's a lot that's been covered about him and, you know, in terms of, um, you know, why he, why things led to the, to the direction that they did. But I do wonder, you know, from the standpoint of, you know, what did you, you know, what were you hearing about him off field wise, you know, at that time in hindsight? Because watching him on the field, it was like he was a no brainer to me. Like that was like, I think if there was a no, that was the year it was like, finally, you look at him and go, this guy's going to change the game in terms of how he plays. He can he he can freaking play running back if you needed him to. Well, it's, it's sort of ironic because if you remember that year, I think they were the same year. I think the Patriots basically rolled the dice on both. They yeah. took Gronkowski, who on about a third of the team's boards was a medical reject. Yeah. Um, who his film, his film was just, I mean, he was a superstar before yeah. before his final year missed. Hernandez, I mean, most of the people that I spoke to um, that went into Florida that year basically got the story from the Florida people that within our building, his football character is off the charts. Never late, works hard, watches film, unbelievable in the weight room. He'll do everything you ever ask. Great football intelligence. They said once he leaves our building, we're not sure he's going to be back here the next day because he's got a lot of major issues. Mm. Um, there were some people that hinted that there had been some violence in college um, of things that had gone on. Um from what I remember, and it's been obviously over a decade, I am pretty sure from the people I spoke to that he on most teams' boards was a mid to late first-round player who a lot of teams put into that fourth, fifth-round area because of the off-field issues. So most teams were pretty aware that there were not just a little bit of concern, there was major concern that this guy was going to have issues away from football and was going to need a mentor situation and the ironic thing is his brother is a successful college coach yeah has gone on to be a great coach great guy i think i met him once or twice at iowa when he was a coach there um and it just shows you how divergent paths can be but yeah most teams had a feeling about him and it's funny because you mentioned him and it brings up another tight end who i'm sure you looked at was austin seraphin jenkins Oh yeah. When he came out of University of Washington. And I remember when his freshman year ended, there were a number of people that had gone in there and said, wait till you see this kid in two years. He may be the best tight end that's ever come out of college. Because they said, if you just put the film on, 
he's a freak show. But the problem was in college, there were issues. And that has been a thing that plagued him throughout the early part of his career, despite immense talent. And that's the hard part of any position. But I think the tight end position can make it a little more difficult because the tight end is that amalgam of two spots. So they have to be extra smart, extra intuitive, extra aware when they're on the field. So any off-field things can often lead to more struggles on the field because it requires so much more than mentally to succeed on the field. Yeah, who was the guy at Oregon who got drafted, who ended up getting oh. picked up by the by the Packers, and but then yes, cut pretty quickly. I who had a lot of drug problems. Yeah, yeah, he was an he was amazing on the field. I thought. I'm trying to remember his name because we actually tried to bring him up to the CFL. Yeah. Um. And I can't remember his name I, for the life of. I'll find him real quick. Colt Lyerly. Colt Lyerly. Yep. Yeah. A yeah. freak of nature talent. I yes. mean, he did things that reminded you of a little bit smaller Gronkowski. I mean, he had that for a, for a thickly built kid, he could run. He made catches that looked like it was routine. It was, he would, he had the tools to be a star, but he didn't have the other off field stuff taken care of. Yeah. I'll tell you another guy who I loved and it, it comes to size and understanding that size mattered for the, for the position. Um, and I'm going to look at he he was at Dixie State, the the tight end for Dixie State who wound up on the Broncos practice squad, um, and then ended up Duncan Joe Don Duncan. Oh, I, I remember him. Yeah, yeah, I liked Joe Don Duncan because you're watching his tape, and he's like making these one-handed catches down the field over his shoulders, contested plays, just like stretching the field. And then it's like, yeah, but he's playing at Dixie State. That's why he's doing a lot of that. Like, you didn't get a chance to see how athletic he truly was in terms of, like, speed and quickness. But strength, he was off the charts. Like, I believe he, like, I think he outlifted every tight end and outlifted a lot of um, linemen in that draft class. But he had a major injury. And then the Broncos had him. And then also it was interesting because he's probably the guy that I still kind of contend that if he got a real shot, he might have had, he might have made it, might have made it because <laughs> I look at, you know, I look at Denver and there's a little bit going on with Denver, you know, during the John Elway era. It sounds like that maybe John Elway had his guys. There are certain guys he wanted and it meant, I'm, we're going to plug in those guys over guys who might actually be performing well enough to actually earn a shot. And I think there's a little bit of that that's coming out of Denver. I don't know how much of that is accurate, but it seems like that where there's there was enough smoke with that with C.J. Anderson versus Devontae Booker. There was enough of that with the quarterback situations, with some of the, you know, with some of the receivers that they've had out there. Um, so... I could see that being a, a, a bit of a thing because he actually, they talked about him in camp. I remember Cecil Lammy talking about him in camp and saying, you know, he looked pretty good. They thought about using him as an H-back. And, and, but the thing was, was the fit. Because he was never, even though he was strong, raw strength doesn't still create leverage automatically. And that was yep. the thing with him is that he was short. He was like a little fire plug. 
who had great strength, but like, is he going to match up against a DE or an offensive, you know, an outside um, linebacker? How's he going to do against safeties? Is he quick enough to be able to handle those guys when they come in? That was kind of the deal with him is that like the athletic ability just didn't quite fit maybe enough. And if it did, it was like you were going to have to make special concessions. So I could see how even if you're going to criticize John Elway for some of the things that happened with other players, it may not have applied to a guy like Duncan. But I will say that's a team to me with two tight ends that are very, to me, in a debate about what, how did they end up where they are, which is you have the kid from Missouri, yeah. Albert, whatever his last name, not even going to try yeah. it, who, when he does what he's, when he competes, he's he has so much freaky talent. He could be as good as he wants to be. I mean, he could be a Pro Bowl guy. The year he had as a junior, yeah, when Drew Locke was throwing him the ball, he looked like a top 10 pick in the draft. Yeah. I mean, he was doing things that Gronkowski did. But as soon as he didn't have a consistent quarterback, you could see his concentration lapsed. He didn't care about running routes. He never would block. And he just fell off the map. And then the other guy there to me, and this was a great study for me, was the Noah Fant kid. Because I remember watching Iowa, and they had TJ Hawkinson and Noah Fant. And, and I don't know if it was Hawkinson being so good or Fant being that bad. But I literally couldn't even keep them in the same discussion because I kept seeing yeah. Hawkinson and saying, to me, this is a guy who's going to play a long time. I didn't think he was going to be a superstar, but I thought he'd be a really good all-around player. And I looked at Fant and I thought, how's this guy going to play in our league? Because yeah. if he can run in a – he's a little bit like Ed Dixon. If it's in a straight line, great. But he's so upright when he runs. I mean, it's his back is – literally flat when he runs yeah. and he's so stiff i was like how is this guy going to survive and so far basically if they do a tight end screen or send him down the field he's great but other than that he can't do anything exactly exactly and albert o's going to get that shot i mean you no can doubt. see it they were for i mean drew locks force feeding him whenever he was on the field um and in key situations like you know he comes onto the field after the injury he had as a rookie mid-season it's like okay what, like three red zone attempts in the first game? And like three of them were in a... I think he had five in the first game and three in a row in in one series. And then like at the end of the game, they're going to him. Not They're not going to Fant, they're going to him. And no. Fant's a guy who doesn't even have a good feel for like how to obey the football. Like No idea. The, yeah. He like, just could run. Yeah, he, he, that's exactly it. You know, very athletic. He They saw him as moldable clay, but the problem was is that there was like a it looks like that there was some other things inside the clay that you didn't realize was there. Well, I think it was that big steel rod yeah. that keeps him <laughs> on a straight line. He can run. I was going to no say doubt. a popsicle stick, but I like yeah. the steel rod better. It's a little more durable. When you watch him try to turn yes. and catch something, it's brutal. Yes. I mean, yeah. it's literally like it's either stop his whole body and yeah. take his foot and turn, or he just tries and becomes a spaz. Yes. It, it's, it's a shame because he's – competitive and he, he he seems to care but he's so stiff stiff and upright i just don't know how that guy plays where it's when i watch albert O. I mean he's so smooth and fluid and the way he can avoid and adjust it's like oh if you can light that fire oh he could be a special player in this league yeah without a doubt without a doubt all right so i guess you know trying to think of a couple other because another guy that comes to mind 
Vance McDonald. That was a player Oh, yeah. I, I really liked him. Yeah. Like, he's had a good career when you think about that he's been wanted by several teams. He's He's been a starter. He's been a contributor pretty much wherever he goes. But he hasn't been a star. And I think the lesson there is, too, is like, you can't project stars most of the time to that level. It's you really, I mean, or that's just tough to do. It's like, um, but I think if you look at it, Pittsburgh, saw the same thing we did. Yeah. Because they brought him in to basically be Heath Miller. Yeah. I mean, and it hasn't worked out that way, but there are so many similarities as a player trait wise, that I think they thought they were getting a guy who could run short routes, catch the ball, be a good blocker and probably a little bit more athletic than you expected, but he hasn't been that guy. Yeah, Luke Wilson was another one within that same class. They're both from the yep. same school, and you could confuse them on occasion. You know, when you watch them, I mean, not down to down, but occasionally you'd see stuff. You'd be like, "Hmm." And guys, another guy like I remember. I think I liked. I'm trying to remember. Um, I think this was around the time, like during this period, where like the Richard Rogers types. Um, you know, the Cameron Mora types. Those were guys I kept thinking, I watched them run routes. I watched them stretch the field. I watched them adjust to the ball well. Here's that time where they're going to, you know, here's where the NFL, you know, Jermichael Finley's, you know, a guy people are really excited about, you know, in terms of, you know, the possibility of him being able to revolutionize where they're going. A.J. Derby was a guy that I really liked. You know, oh, yeah. I think I remember the former linebacker who went to Iowa and then to Arkansas. And I just thought that was another one where I thought, oh, he's going to be a lot better than he was. And you'd see flashes with him. And it was also just, you know, it just was, he never was fully put together, you know, from that standpoint. James O'Shaughnessy was another guy I really liked. I thought, ooh, this guy could be like kind of. I'm right of there a, with you on O'Shaughnessy. Yeah. I, I thought. You might not. You might mistake him a little bit for Travis Kelsey on occasion with certain things, but he didn't have that next level athletic ability. But he's he's a good athlete, just not a great athlete. See, and that leads me to a guy that couldn't grade in college because he didn't play college football. But I ended up seeing at the same camp as Travis Kelsey and O'Shaughnessy at one point, which was Ross Travis. Oh, this is a kid who came in. He had gone to Penn State, didn't play football. And I went to see them in training camp. And I think it was the Chiefs right off the bat. Um, and I'm watching this kid, and he is he's running around. He looks phenomenal, catching the ball. I'm like, holy smokes. And I think he's now five years into a career, and he might have 10 catches in his whole career because he's always that third tight end. But teams are always hoping because they see this long, linear, athletic kid that he's going to take the next step. But that's one that – I can remember, and he reminded me a little of Shaughnessy. Totally the opposite, a kid that came out a year ago that I liked on film, and then I think he was at the Senior Bowl, and I love him, but I don't know if he'll ever carve out a role, is the Travon Wesco. Oh, kid out of I West loved Virginia. him. Oh, I man. Him I, yeah. But he what can't a run. player. No, he can't. So like, where do I find a spot for this kid who will knock your head off as a blocker, who I think has rare ball skills, Yeah, knows what he's doing, but I don't know if he can outrun you or me in a race. But here's the crazy thing. He's quick. He is. In short area, very quick. Yeah. No and, doubt. And that's the thing that that's the thing that I'm waiting to kind of wonder about as that next lesson is like, where's the line? You know, with a guy who's slow but sudden. 
and because like you watch him with Foster Moreau, like we're watching him in senior bowl and I'm going, that's the quickest guy in the short area on the field. No question. No yeah. question. It was, it was, it was great, you know, to watch, but then you're like, but you know, again, he's playing facing other guys who are quick too. Like that's the thing. Maybe part of that has to come down to, it's like, I need to start looking at linebacker and safety short area quickness and judge that to, you know, tight end short area quickness. And if my bar is lower for tight end than it is for what the NFL's is for linebacker and safety, then I know my answer, you know. But at the same time, that's why the senior bowl is a good sort of way to look at him because if you're seeing him outperform other tight ends quickness-wise, it tells you, well, if he can do it here, yeah. he's more athletic, then why wouldn't that translate? Because his film, like we both said, he couldn't run. But, man, he got open. Yeah, he knew what he was doing. He could get, he could sell. He had that little two or three steps, and boom, he was gone. And wow, did he catch the ball tremendously well? I mean, he might just be a second contract player. He might, he might be, be. Yep. Just, but or he it, might be a second tight end. Yes, on a team where there's a star, he becomes that versatile sort of do it all type guy. Yeah, not a not that he'll be Aaron Hernandez, but sort of the Aaron Hernandez type to a Gronkowski. Yeah. A team with the Travis Kelsey where you use this other guy to catch 38 balls a year. Kind of how kind of how you look at the combination of Kyle Rudolph and Irv Smith. Well, I think Very Irv much. Smith, while Irv Smith could be a 80 catch player easily in a different offense and you know, in that offense it seemed like this year at least Kyle Rudolph was still the focus and and Irv was the complement. But you could see that's how... going to change next year, though. It oh, sounds like. Oh yeah, yeah. And <laughs> it, it definitely will. And it's funny because you look at that, and there's a guy on that squad who who's also underrated in a sense as a role player. He's just a role player, though. Tyler Conklin, who's carved oh, yeah. out a nice career. You know, the he, he was a guy. You watch him, and he could run routes. He could work outside. He had the quickness, and he turned into a better blocker than I expected. Like that was a guy who developed as a blocker that saved his career because of the fact that he could play in line. And I was like, I was thinking this guy was more of a, an H back, you know, that was going to have to catch move guy. Yeah. So, yeah. No, I tell you what, if a guy is willing and he has enough sort of lead in his butt to, to be a decent blocker, if you teach him technique, it at least gives him a chance to carve out that third tight end role and give him a chance to develop. Because the reality is that third tight end and even the backup is often going to be playing a lot on teams. Yeah. So you have to have some willingness to go out there and do that. But to me, the tight end, it's such a difficult position. That's one of the things I've noticed over the years because it's combining two positions. They have to be so smart. They have to be innately tough. It To me, tight end has always been a difficult position to consistently get correct. Yeah, it, totally. And it's and it's how teams use them because you look at, I mean, I was reading Bill Belichick's old notes when he was with Cleveland about, you know, how to scout the position. And for him, it was like, you know, with the, there's certain types of tight ends. I just look at his blockers. As you said, I look at them as blockers and that's what they are. You can find them everywhere. So we're not going to, we're not going to draft a guy early. Who's a great blocker, but yep. if they're a great receiver, I don't care if they can block like that's, they can, yep catch and run and that's and that was a deal so i mean i looked at guys like blake bell blake bell the bell dozer and thought okay he could yep. be interesting you know but again he's just been kind of a guy david morgan's another example of a player with the yeah. vikings who i loved his short area quickness he was kind of a wesco type really strong super 
um, quick in the short area, could catch, but just couldn't run, you know. Yeah. But he was on the team for a couple years with that. Um, you know, a, a guy who I think that I missed on, um, I'm, I'm beginning to think that I missed on this, who's in the recent classes, is David Njoku. I really like David Njoku, but I think I was... I wasn't careful enough about his consistency as a receiver and his, maybe I would say his refinement and attention to detail with the position because I'm beginning to think that this guy's a a bit of an underachiever on the standpoint of, you know, he might turn it around, but he, he, to me, he's that, he, he probably is going to have a 10-year career because he you can give him certain plays like the tight end screen and he's kind of a more athletic version of Noah Fant in a way, who knows a little bit more, but and should know a lot more, but it doesn't show up in the games. No, he reminds me a little bit of a tight end that I missed on, although he's a first round pick and still starting, is Eric Ebron. And ah, that Ebron's yeah. a freak talent, yeah, who should be a dynamic guy, but every game, two balls are going to hit him right in the hands, and he's going to say, "Wait, there, ball! I'm going to run ten yards, then I'll come back and get you." And he just he he doesn't seem to have that ability to tuck it away and go, and he's just like Njoku in that he's a freak. Yeah. He can do whatever he wants athletically, but he doesn't catch the ball. So what was your what was your take on this guy? Because I loved him. This was probably my biggest like high like guy I loved, and I thought he was truly going to be that exceptional option because he could okay. go and win the ball in the air. He was down. He he was winning downfield. Bucky Hodges. I, I liked Bucky. My only question with him was I thought he was a guy that was going to be limited in ability to get away from people. When I watched yeah. him move, I was like, geez, I just think to me, he looked a lot like, and I talk about the Zach Miller kid. Yeah. There was some Zach Miller tendencies in that he knew how to get open, but it was based on he's smooth. He does a good shoulder fake or he can he set the guy up and gets out and he's got a step of separation, never drops the ball. But I didn't see that twitchiness to yeah. where he's going to be able to boom and gone. Yeah. And that was my concern because, man, he's got natural ball skills. He'll catch in traffic. What I did like about him is a lot of tight ends, they sort of have to – and this is the difference between the good ones and the, the special ones. They have to catch it, settle, turn, and then they go. Bucky was quick to catch it, and he was upfield. Yeah. So I was like, all right, this guy, I still think he's going to be a guy who plays – I just don't know if he's number one. I think he's more of that number two, move him around. When you can get him in a mismatch where he's not speed deficient, he can get a lot of plays made. I just didn't see that, just that little juice. That was my issue with him. Yeah, and I could see that. And, you know, he had a cup of coffee with the Vikings, had a nice preseason game late. I think he got hurt, got cut. The Steelers picked him up. They cut him. I don't know where he is now, but, you know, but you know, it, it's funny though, because you mentioned earlier, a lot of it's the opportunity because we've talked about obviously some special athletes with Winslow or, or Gates or some of that. But one of the guys who people keep saying, oh, Hall of Famer, Hall of Famer, when I hear Jason Witten talked about, and Witten never was twitchy, no, never was really fast. He was a very smooth guy with rare ball skills, knew how to get open, ran excellent routes. So when I see a guy like him be so successful, I think, okay, What's the Hodges, Zach Miller? Where where is that athletic difference between those three? Yeah, that that truly is special. I think a lot of it with tight ends. 
I really believe is their intelligence and their, their work ethic watching film. If they're not special athletically, because I think sometimes their intelligence and their watching film builds confidence with the coaches and with the quarterback to where they get more opportunities. Yeah. And then once they start catching the ball, like a Witten did, never dropped the ball, always was there in third down, knew how to slide within his zone to re sort of set himself up to be open, which a lot of tight ends can't do. That lets you continue to get playing time over somebody who may be more athletic because doesn't matter what you do in practice. We know in game time when Jason's playing, he's going to get open when we need him to. Yeah. And I think that sometimes that's where a guy like Hodges, sometimes you look at it and say athletically they should be there. And that's what to me makes tight end scouting hard. Where is that line athletically? Exactly. A quality starter and a guy that you're always hoping for more that can't get on the field. Yeah. And then it's and when you talk about the intelligence factor, it is about pass blocking assignments, pass protection Huge. assignments, run blocking assignments, changes at the line, being a part of that. Then also you're learning all those things which are difficult in themselves. That's a whole thing. But then now you're having to learn hot hot reads and audibles for as a as a receiver and understanding the zone because you're mostly running in zone. Because unless you're unless you're Travis Kelsey, who is a wide receiver in a big man's body, you're you're playing inside. So you're gonna have to understand the zone drops and the different types of um, the different types of coverages and whether it's man on one side and zone on the other. And how do you figure that out mid snap? And whether you're on the same page with your quarterback. And you don't see those things in college football very often. Occasionally, you'll see a hybrid coverage you're seeing more of it now but occasionally you know you'll still won't see it to the degree that you're seeing in the nfl like i had a you know i talked to somebody the other day who was talking about you know twitter and uh, the faction of guys on twitter who were very x and o's oriented you know who who you know they that's their kind of space and he said you know it's kind of interesting to him that everyone there seems to be really big on saban's cover seven and the roles that it's being used. And he's like, he said, teams have been playing with that, those same rules for years. And he's like, you know, he's sitting there ranting to me about it a little bit, like not in a mean way, but he's just like, they've been using it for years. He goes, including the Saban's rules. It's not like it's something new. It's just not a for, it wasn't just a formal thing they wrote up. It was something that developed over time and everybody knew about it. Everyone used it. Everyone expected it. It was like a part of like, he said it was a, you know, they used it. It was rare to use it. Maybe they used it in two to three game plans, he said, but they always tuned it, you know, for an opponent. And he said, so the fact that everyone's now like posting playbooks, like it's like, you, you know, like a big top secret thing. Yep. You, you know, he's like, he's kind of laughing about it because he's like, no, this has been around forever. It's just a, a specialized thing that's gained a little bit more notoriety now but everyone knows what it is everyone sees what it is and everyone's used to to it and and so it's like you know they don't it's not like they don't know what's coming but at the same time you look at that type of stuff and and you're like these things that even like the media and the and the the analysts who do this stuff you, you know are looking at it here they're talking about stuff then they're still like five six years behind probably maybe really more like 10 to 12 when it comes oh, to like talking about it 
No doubt. I, and I'll go, the story I'll tell you is sort of funny is when I first got to the Rams, my boss had been there since I always like to joke since they invented water. I mean, he'd been in the, the NFL since Sid Gilman coached the LA Chargers. I mean, he was on that <laughs> staff with Al Davis and Chuck Knoll. So I mean, Bambi. Yeah, Bambi. Exactly. <laughs> and we were sitting there and I was his sort of intern. So I would just sit at his desk and watch film with him. And one day a reporter was in there and I don't remember what player he was talking about, but he said, did you guys draft him because you want to try to bring in the the the, the Bears? Because we were about 10 years after the 46 defense of the Bears. And he goes, well, since Buddy Ryan invented the 46, he said, are you guys trying to – and Jack literally cut him off with some curses because that's who Jack Faulkner was. And he spun his chair around and he went and pulled out a playbook from like, I don't know, 1960-something. And he flipped to it and he said, you see that? He said, it's called the Bear Front. He said, that's why everybody says the Bears started. He said, that's the front. He said, when you cover up the guards, he said, we were doing that back in 62 with whatever team he was coaching. He goes, this ain't new. He goes, stop giving all the credit. He goes, trust me, if they don't put the 12th guy in the field, it's been done before. He goes, I promise you. <laughs> that's awesome. That's and it awesome. was just hysterical because it's just – and it's not to knock people. Hey, trust no. me, I'm not an X's no genius. And I commend the people on Twitter or anywhere who do get that exactly. into it because I don't enjoy it. I don't like getting that nitty gritty into it. And that's why when I was offered the chance to move from scouting to coaching at the Rams, I said, yeah, that ain't for me. I said, I'll, 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 I'll die first. But there is something to that understanding it. the people who can get in and understand it. There's a beauty to it. And I think it can help you in evaluating, but I think it can also hurt you too. If yeah. you rely too much on the scheme and don't focus enough on the player. Yeah, there's there's the whole, it's it's a craft, science and art. That's really yes. what it is. And, and that's where we get into this whole thing is like you can get too scientific or you can get too artsy with it. And, and when you, and you got to find that right balance between the two. And hopefully we give you guys a chance to be able to, um, see some of that, so, you know, from one end to the other of, you know, exploring the entire spectrum of scouting, the science and the art. Um, and hopefully we give you, you know, the balance of the craft as much as possible with the show. And, you know, we'd love to get the feedback from you, um, you know, and you can find, you know, you can either contact Russ or me on Twitter at Russ Landy at Matt Waldman. You can find, um, you know, wherever you find this podcast where it's downloaded, you can rate and review it. Um, and you can always email me at mattwaldmanrsph.email.com um, if you have any specific things that you'd like to discuss or, or comment on. I have a number of people who seem to e like to email me every week and give me kind of really interesting rundown and reviews of things. And they're either range from people who've like been coaches or they're um, economists or they're therapists or they're clinical researchers who just love football and love the, con the, 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 to the topics that we talk about or who work in the business world and love talking about leadership and the off-field stuff. It, it just seems like there's an, a lot of interesting angles that people seem to like to take from this stuff. So we appreciate the fact that, that you're enjoying this and that you have you know that kind of feedback. And um, certainly if there's subject matter you'd like us to talk about, we're good with that too. RSP is available um, you can find it at mountwaldman.com and you know the new product is generating a lot of interest in terms of the the, the two-year projections 
as well as the full dynasty rankings. But I'm about 120 players into the RSP. Um, have a different scouting format that I've got in terms of like the report that will be coming out. Um, so I think you're gonna I think you're gonna like that. Um, and I think also it's gonna um, maybe save me a little bit of sleep and my editors some consternation. So that should be good too. So we hope you guys have a terrific week and we'll get in touch with you again in a couple weeks um, for the next issue of uh, Scout Talk with Russ Landy.